Okay, well, I think we should begin. I'd like to say good evening to you all, and it's uh, terrific to see such a good turnout here, which is a testament to uh, the influence which our speaker has had in so many of the disciplines that are represented here at the LSC and elsewhere. Um, as a jobbing sociologist here at the school, I was honoured to be asked to chair this lecture by Professor Bruno Latour, in which he will, I believe, put forward the argument that my own adopted discipline, sociology, is in need of a new forefather in the shape of Gabriel Tart. Uh, the lecture is part of the 2008 Franco-British Europe Dialogue Series, organized by the LSE's European Institute and Sciences Po in Paris. It's also part of the public program of the European Forum uh, for, of the Forum for European Philosophy, and it's uh, generously supported uh, by the French Embassy. Um, Bruno Latour uh, is uh, a professor at Sciences Po in Paris and vice president for research at this school, has had uh, a long association with the LSE as one of our centennial professors. He was for almost a quarter of a century before he went to Sciences Po at the École de Mines in Paris. And those of my generation probably first came across his work in a book of 1979, written by a former with a former colleague of mine, Steve Woolgar, entitled Laboratory Life, The Social Construction of Scientific Facts. Uh, what sticks in most of our minds, I imagine, was the astounding thesis at that point that what scientists took to be facts were merely inscriptions, traces, marks produced by various machines and machinations, and then presumed to represent reality. This idea of inscriptions, a very powerful one, had an influence way beyond the field of science studies. But in that book, uh, Latour began to formulate some more general philosophical theses, arguing that the claims gained the social status of truth as a result of heterogeneous processes uh, involving all sorts of presuppositions and fragile extrapolations that were later obscured from view. To understand what had come to pass as truth or as science, we needed to open that black box uh, and treat the proponents of these ideas like any other tribe to follow the scientists around as they assembled their beliefs um, and uh, propagated them within society. In that book, and later in the pasteurization of France and other writings, Bruno Latour proposed what one might call a general social theory of truth. Those claims that gained the status of truth did not succeed as the result of peaceful deliberations, careful judgments of the quality of argument, the salience of evidential claims and the like, but from an agonistic, perhaps even a warlike process of struggle in which the victors triumphed because of social rather than scientific factors, because of the allies they were able to mobilize in their support, and the network of human and non-human entities they were able to mobilize to their advantage. This approach later became the basis of a general social theory of associations, actor network theory, that had an impact far beyond the rather specialized field of science studies. Now, one reason for that was whilst I've rather deliberately used the term social quite a bit myself here, um, the explanatory value of that term uh, was itself uh, disputed. 
Indeed, in his most recent book, Reassembling the Social, uh, Professor Latour suggests that this ANT approach should not only be the basis for the social studies of science, but actually provides the basis of a new social theory. The concepts that sociologists have long deployed in their thinking and explanation, for instance, that of society, were, it appeared, well, merely concepts. Uh, and they were to be displaced by a focus on a different and more real and traceable set of processes, uh, connections. I think it's this focus on connections that's led Professor Latour to argue that the thought of Gabriel Tard should be revived. For those of us at the LSE whose own contribution to sociology can be traced to somewhat different figures, Edvard Vestermark, uh, L.T. Hobhouse, uh, Ginsburg, T.H. Marshall, Richard Titmus, uh, David Glass, and whose sociologists today probably draw more on the thought of Karl Marx and Max Weber than that of Emil Durkheim, uh, this reference to Tard is an intriguing proposition. I, for one, look forward to being convinced of it over the next hour or so. So it's with great anticipation that I welcome Professor Latour to present his lecture, Another European Tradition, Traceability of the Social and the Vindication of Gabriel Tard. Thank you very much, Nick. Actually, the last time I was here, ten years ago, it was a not-so-pleasant experience because I was uh, disputing here with Alan Sokal, and uh, half of a, two-thirds of a crowd were screaming at me, actually, uh, and the chairman was quite unbalanced and biased uh, toward uh, Alan Sokal, so uh, I hope it will be less conf confrontational today, uh, but it's a great pleasure to be back uh, at the LSE. I'm not going to convince you of adding another grandfather to your ancestry, I'm more interested in repairing uh, an injustice, so to speak, which has been uh, done, uh, not, not for any uh, reason of archaic uh, past. I mean, it's not to go back to a history of sociology, of which I'm not a, a specialist uh, anyway, but to try to get back um, a feeling for three uh, different arguments, which um, I want to present. Maybe I will have no time for the third, but the two first one. The first is an argument where I will speak mainly about the strange uh, idea of Gabriel Tard, which are, in my view, vindicated by uh, the new datascapes which are available now. So my idea is not to go back to Gabriel Tard. My idea is simply that Tard had anticipated a, a, a type of data or datascape, which, were, of course, were not available at this time, at his time, but which are available now and which might help us have a second look to uh, an argument which, if it had been made, had it been made a century ago, uh, would have avoided, in my view, several of the difficulty of social theory. In other words, every time there is a new data escape, there is a new uh, social theory. The second point is precisely once the data escapes are deployed and uh, when it becomes possible to trace the collective what exactly do we mean by tracing uh, this connection of which um, uh, Nick just uh, spoke? In other words, if a social and social explanation is no longer necessarily uh, the only remedy uh, or the only tool of the social sciences, what's the alternative? I mean, is there a, a specific empirical alternative to the notion of society, I mean, to make it uh, simply? 
And uh, the third point, of course, as a pragmatist philosopher, is what difference does it make? I mean, if we change social theory, does it have consequences? So the first point I want to make um, is using the, this argument that for every datascape, there is uh, a social theory. Basically, my argument is very simple. The debate between Tard and Durkheim, I'm sorry, I'm taking two French uh, guys which are not necessarily so well known here, but that's part of the European uh, uh, enterprise uh, and, and uh, European uh, forum, uh, is that it's basically a huge dispute uh, about what it is that the social sciences uh, should uh, study. So I remind you that TARDS never uh, stop at the two big endpoint of most discussions in the social sciences after him, uh, namely uh, society or the individual. So it's interesting to go back to a social theory where the very notion of a question or the great question of social psychology or socioeconomics or the social sciences in general is not raised because Tard is before the bifurcation which, at least in the French tradition, has been elicited by Durkheim, where the great question becomes the link of the linkages or the dialectic of the connection between the collective and the individual. What interests me in that is that he's not interested in that question, and he completely bypasses it. So in terms of the word he uses to do these two moves, which I've called in reassembling the social, localize the global and distribute uh, the local, is a strange word, which is, of course, very much out of date, the word uh, imitation. And there is a misunderstanding here in this term because imitation, then people immediately think that it's, uh, Tad was a psychologist. It's actually what Durkheim make him be. You are a psychologist and I'm a sociologist. And Tad said, no, 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 I'm not a psychologist. I'm not interested in intra-psychology, of which Tad says at the turn of the century we know very little, which was true. I'm interested in inter-psychology, and there is no difference between inter-psychology and sociology. And imitation is, a, of course, somewhat... Uh, um, passé word and because he's not really interested in the psychology or we would of course be uh, extremely excited by the, uh, the new uh, mirror neurons and that sort of thing but uh, it's really a way of focusing center stage on putting center stage the vehicle which are transporting the models or association I would uh, use the term so we should not be too worried about the word imitation but what is interesting is precisely what uh, Tarn doesn't do that is being interested in uh, society and in individual and in the alternative. So there is a big dispute, and actually there is a debate, which we are going to replay, actually, uh, in, Ox in Cambridge in a, few, in a month, uh, between Tard and Durkheim in 2003. Now, the debate is absolutely unknown. Don't be worried if you don't, never heard about this debate. It's actually completely unknown because Durkheim won. And he won so well that even the fact that Tard was there and that Tard existed as barely, I mean, registered in the history of French uh, sociology. What is very interesting is that in this debate, Durkheim is the young guy and Tard is the older guy. Tard is the famous guy, he's a professor at the Collège de France, he is sociology, and Durkheim is the young uh, upstart. And uh, Durkheim wins, there's no doubt about that, because Durkheim has the scientificity behind him. And Tard is as only a prose behind him. And what I want to do to show you is that actually his prose is anticipating in some ways a type of data which are available uh, now. So whenever Tard says something, 
Uh, Durkheim has a completely different view of what science and social sciences is. And what is interesting is that uh, Tard is also always complaining against Durkheim that Durkheim is bringing the social explanation to the fore when he should do exactly the opposite, that is, explain why a society or any association are held together. And every time uh, this mixture of confusion in the mind of Tard by Durkheim between the explanance and the uh, explanandum, Durkheim become very uh, angry and uh, reject Tard to uh, prose and uh, useless, uh, the archaism and philosophy, uh, the sort of uh, infancy of the social sciences. This is also one of the reasons why Tard is interesting to me, because Tard does not make the distinction between philosophy and the social sciences, while Durkheim insists on uh, the distinction very much. What I want is to rebalance a bit the two positions and to be a bit more symmetrical about these two uh, situations and uh, to, to give you an idea of what is interesting in, interesting, uh, in Tart precisely that is missed by the argument which will be imposed or entrenched into social sciences uh, by Durkheim, bifurcation and legacy. As we advance in life, it's true, this is Tard, we are often governed by collective and impersonal models, which are usually not consciously chosen. But before we speak, think, or act, as they speak, on in French, and acting, at, we begin by speaking, thinking, and acting as he or she does. And this he or she is always one of our own near acquaintances. Beneath, beneath sorry, the indefinite there, However carefully we search, we never find anything but a certain number of he's and she's, which, as they have increased in number, have become mingled together and confused. The question I want to raise is, what happens if we actually have the tools to follow the he and she, which are mingled and confused through the they? And, of course, seen at the time at the time of Durkheim, this is a negation of a really solid hard social sciences because how do you go back to the he and she which are composing the they is impossible. And Tart keeps insisting for a reason which is, of course, at the heart of a dispute with uh, Durkheim, which is the critique that there are two levels, one of them where it would be the individuals and another level where the collective will be on a different plane and suddenly appears ex abrupto, I read. No matter how intimate, how harmonious a social group is, never do we see emerging ex abrupto in the midst of its astonish associate, a collective self, which would be real and not only metaphorical, a sort of marvelous result of which the associate would be the mere condition, which is, of course, what he accused uh, Durkheim of doing with the sui generis argument. To be sure, there is always an associate that represents an personifies the group in its entirety or else a small number of associates who each under a particular aspect individualize in themselves a group in its entirety. But this leader or those leaders are always also members of that group born from their own fathers and mothers and not born collectively from their subject or their constituency. You know what he is saying here is that it's precisely this difference of level which is considered as the the beginning of the argument of Durkheim about a sui generis level, which is a collective level, which is in question, in the only case for Tard, where we have direct cognition of the situation, which is human group. For the other groups, and I remind you here that for Tard, everything is society, stone, stars, table, people. 
from the other groups, stars, stones, we see them from the outside and from far away. So we can believe there is something like a collective entity beyond the individual. A structure is what you see when you see things from afar, not when you see them, if you are still able to get the pixelization, so to speak, of what is composing the whole. So this is the argument, <laughs> which is very strange, of course, in DART, but structure is always a mistake. It, it, it's a, no, it's not a mistake. It's a perspective. You think that there is structure because you miss the E and she's which are behind the theirs and compose them. But structure is only a feature that you see not in social, in human societies, but in other types of society and aggregates, which, are, which have two very interesting characteristics, because that's the only thing that TARD makes to differentiate the social and natural sciences. In the social sciences, we deal with a few elements, and we see them from very near. In the natural sciences, we deal with a lot of elements and we see them from very far away. There are a few billions of humans, but there are hundreds and billions of molecules, so to speak. So the difference between the social sciences is not in the question of hard and soft. The question is in question of distance and uh, number. And the last quote to uh, use this, uh, to bring me back to the notion of datascape, the impersonal and collective character is thus the product rather than the producer of the infinitely numerous individual character. It is their composite sorry <coughs> it is their composite photograph and must not be taken for their mask. We etc. Sorry. Uh, we perceive behind it I, I'm going to the end of the, of the paragraph, we perceive behind it a swarm of individual innovator, each sui generis, stamped with its own distinctive mark and recognizable among a thousand. And of course this is a striking uh, importation in social theory of Leibniz's uh, argument and uh, the argument of a monad. There is no individual, but there are monads. This is taken from Monadology and Sociology, a very, very strange <laughs> book of philosophy and uh, social theory. Now, what is a composite photograph? I mean, of course, the metaphor is coming from these images which were very popular at the turn of the century. I mean, the century before. This is one of the Galton's uh, composite photographs and we are used to many. This is a very strange composite photograph of President Wilson made out of 21,000 soldiers. And you see, we have some imagery and visualization of what it is to connect simultaneously the monads and the aggregates. Another case, which is well known on the web now, you can make your own, which is a President Bush made out of the dead in uh, Iraq. So we are used to this sort of uh, back and forth, but still the composite and the connection between the composite and the components are very naive. I mean, even though there are some striking uh, visual effect. My claim is, is slightly different. What would happen if we had the tools to simultaneously go back and forth between the pixels and the composite without being stopping at any one point? Will the big question, the big question of the social sciences, the connection between society and individual, be recast or not. That's what I'm interested in, why, one of the many reasons why I'm interested in that. Does it make a difference if you change the way we navigate for datascape that the question of seeing simultaneously the component, the monad, and the aggregates is different? And I think that what I, <laughs> I want to do, and 
I have to thank the gentleman who had to rush home today to find the only Macintosh of LSE. Because I, I came here thinking there would be at least one. No, there was none. And the poor guy had to rush home and bring back his computer. I thank him very much. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, and he managed to have it work. Just one example. We are completely now surrounded and bombarded with, question, with uh, instruments. Sorry. With instruments. Oops. I think we had found the way. Oh, yes, okay. This is one of the many tools interesting for people who have masses of interviews and videos and who are trying to simultaneously have them housed and kept together and being simultaneously able to reach the data structure, enter into the, uh, hear the video of people speaking. I'm sorry, I took the sound enough. I mean, I didn't want to have, <laughs> the talk was complicated enough. Uh, with, a, with the sound, it would have been impossible. Um, so there are people from. So there is a huge database where simultaneously you have access to what they are s saying, and you have a keyword, a normal semantic uh, quantitative study, to the video and to the uh, uh, individual uh, statement. So we are now used to navigate in this strange way through the individual to uh, the aggregates and back, which is of course the novelty compared to uh, the usual statistics of which we are, we, that we are learning in methodology, methodology uh, uh, classes. So I'll go and give you another example, which is, of course, most of these examples on the web are actually coming from scientometrics, and scientometrics is a field <laughs> which, oops, in which uh, sociology of science did a lot of work. This is a very simple search on web of science. The reason I'm interested in it is, again, the type of individualization of a he and she which, has, which are behind every there is the uh, center of the whole scientometric. And the, most of the tools that has been developed in science studies, in quantitative part of science studies, are doing exactly that. And actually, it's exactly the example that uh, Tard himself uh, chose as the ideal case of his sociology. This, you understand why I can't resist in spite of a uh, doubt uh, uh, of Nick to put him in my grandfather uh, gallery because he says whenever you want to understand my sociology, take sociology of science as the ideal case. In this case at least we know exactly every he and she behind every they. As to the scientific monument, probably the most grandiose of all the human monuments there is no possible doubt. It has been built in the full light of history and we can follow its development almost from its first inception until today. So there is a traceability of a connection. Everything in it finds its origin in individual action, individual in the monad sense, not in the atomic sense of the word. Not only the raw material, but also the overall views, the detailed floor plans, as well as the master plan. Everything, even what is now spread in all the cultivated brains and taught in primary schools, as began in the secret of a solitary brain. Don't forget that the solitary is as dispersed as the, as the collective, so solitary is not, again, the uh, at all. So the ideal case of a search for the connection between the he and the she behind the they is actually science. And scientometry has spread everywhere in the web as these new tools have been uh, developed. And that's, of course, one of the reasons why I'm interested. I mean, <laughs> you know probably many of you these maps of science, which are an amazing uh, individualization 
of a whole of a clusters of scientific activity throughout the whole world. This is the map of science from uh, Clevens and his group, and it's a stunning uh, type of circulation and navigation. I want to have them animated, thanks to this gentleman who went home to find the Macintosh, because it's the visual experience of going back and forth from the original uh, atoms of data back to the aggregates and then in the other direction that gives us another feel for the connection between the composite and the aggregates. And of course, what is absolutely amazing is that the very same tools which are being used for scientometry, that is the following of facts, are also the same tools which are being used for the, oops, what happens? This thing moves by itself. This is, uh, look, look, really look, because that's the idea. See, see how easy it goes from the aggregate and then you go from each individual block and then back to the aggregates. And it's an experience which has nothing extraordinary. It, it's what we constantly live through on the, on the web space. I mean, the cyberspace, the datascape in which uh, we are now involved through uh, the, numeri uh, the digitaliz digi digital digitalization, do you say that? For digitalization uh, is a very common experience now where you see simultaneously the he and she and the they, and you can go back uh, and forth. And what is interesting here is that this is just blogs, and it's worst possible blogs. It's a blog about French politics. <laughs> and yet the tools, the mathematics, the, the, data, the data structure behind is exactly the same if you follow scientific fact or if you f follow rumors about the wedding of Sarkozy with the endless numbers <laughs> Which, of course, is great for us because precisely we are interested in the mixing of facts and rumors. And it's extra extraordinary for the first time to have a type of grasp, of empirical grasp, which um, Tart called imitation, but which now has, in a way, the tools of its politics, if I can use this expression for, uh, for Tart. And I think you have understood. This is just an example from <coughs> to show you that the monadology the, the image of a, visual, of, a, of a monad is actually materialized by many of these uh, uh, in, instruments. This is the Govcom, a very interesting uh, group in Amsterdam, which maps for you co collective uh, dispute about science and technology with an uh, automated uh, crawler, so to speak. And again, each point is an individual site, and inside each site you have access to the individual position and the text. And yet, you can go back and get the aggregate, and there are lots of problems, of course, in that, but it's a very different space. It's a very different visual experience. This is a group for my students. <laughs> I choose it just because of a globular Leibnizian, Deleuzean nature of a uh, <laughs> datascape uh, here. I mean, most, most of these visualization tools are actually uh, completely empty, I have to say. I mean, they are very sexy, some, many of them, but some, they are not all interesting at all. But what I'm interested in is precisely in the possibility of navigating a space where it was very difficult. Look at this one, which is also a very uh, new experience, but is in the very same space you can have access to the raw data themselves. Here it's a case where you actually, if you are interested uh, in volcanology, access the website, uh, the direct webcams of the thing you talk about. So empiricism starts to be modified slightly if whenever you talk about a phenomena, you actually make the viewers virtual witness of the phenomena and the raw data uh, themselves. 
What I'm, I mean, I don't want to, I, I could show you because I'm fascinated by this uh, data scape. <laughs> but the point I want to make is that it's because there is a new technology of visualization which allow you to go back and forth between the monads and the aggregate that we might want to interrogate again what it means to be always obsessed by the two levels, one which would be the source of social explanation and the other which would be uh, the, the great question of the individual and then the intra-psychology. It's precisely because Tad never reached, never asked this question, which I think uh, is extremely uh, interesting to uh, read. I mean, vindicated might be a bit too much, but it, it's this idea that it could have, there, there was a way of bypassing, so to speak, the statistical aggregate of his time in order uh, to ask another question, which we now can raise again by using the new uh, datascape. But that doesn't solve the question of what sort of thing we should follow once we have this datascape. And that's the second part of my uh, talk. The first part is clearly for every datascape there is a new social theory to be uh, uh, made because what is a social theory? It's largely an artifact of the sort of data available uh, to you. If you cannot navigate between the individual and the aggregate, then you have one social theory. If you can, then you have another social theory. I mean, this is a simple uh, argument. The prime is that, and it's a prime which my friends in the information department here knows very well, uh, is that this mass of information which is available for the new datascape created by information technology are not necessarily made themselves of information. And I want to give to you two examples. Uh, one of them is uh, coming from my own uh, studies of scientific practice, and the other one is law. And here, uh, as an homage to uh, Alain Potage, and uh, the, my translator uh, of a book I did on, on law, I want to show you how it works. So I want to compare, I want to show that even though we have these masses of information on which Stard uh, pointed out without having the tools, of course, to do it, the difficulty is to replace the notion of social explanation by an entirely different tracing, still empirical, but completely different, because now it has to cross very, very different layers of inscription or uh, information. The case of chains of reference has been studied so much in our field that I can go very fast. Just one little <laughs> example, uh, because I'm an empirical philosopher, so I need example. This is a rat in uh, Professor Rossier laboratory at the School of Physics Chimie in Paris. This is uh, the brain of a rat, the same rat, now cut. This is a microtomer. This is the little uh, slice of a brain which have been put into a liquid in order to be uh, kept alive because it's very important that the brain be uh, kept alive, alive long enough, long enough to be actually put into a very interesting situation where an isolated neuron can be visi made visible, one electrode put at the entry of the neurons, of one neuron, only of one rat, and uh, releasing factors be extracted by a micropipette on the other side of the neuron, things which required many years ago masses of brain extract can now be done on one single rat neuron. But I don't want you to get into 
I'm just interested in my images. No, I'm interested in the fact that my images are completely different at each step. So they are completely discontinuous. And yet, look, now, I'm sorry, here, here is micro manipulating the microscope, looking at the screen to isolate one neuron out of a still 10,000 neurons or 100,000 neurons in the little slice here. And here he gets one. And here he gets the potential of one neuron. And here he gets the paper, or at least the figure in the paper is publishing about neurons. Now, if you go in the other direction, look, they are very different. Every step is discontinuous. This is not an information transfer. This is a transformation, a transformation which is which the complexity and the audacity and the precision of it has taken years of science studies people to understand. I mean, I'm just referring to the latest book on that by Lauren Daston, Peter Gallison at a Zone book called Objectivity, a marvelous example of the wealth of information we get. Sorry, <laughs> the wealth, the wealth of transformation we get by looking at the history of scientific images. But it's a cascade of images, none of which is actually continuous with the one before. So what does it mean to trace association if you don't follow the transformation? And there are very specific transformations. So it's a very peculiar type of connection which you have to follow, and they are absolutely specific to the chains of references. A large part of what we mean by the adjective scientific depends on the ability of to mount and to go back and forth through these chains of reference, the truth condition of which are entirely specific to scientific activity. Now, if you don't believe me, and I don't assume one second that you would believe me, we have to compare to another cases, and I skip this to go because I see that time. Uh, this time, I want to compare this very strange type of connectedness with another one, which is as original, which is as specific, which is just as discontinuous, and yet has absolutely no relation with the way chains of reference are made, namely law. And the reason why I'm doing this is because the great interest of Todd, in, in addition to the question about datascape, is to reverse our addiction, so to speak, for social explanation. The, the whole idea of social sciences is to explain using what is in our back society or some aspect of society to account for strange aspect of economic, psychology, law or science. So we would say science cannot give its own explanation. There is also something which is social. Law cannot give its own explanation. There is also something social, etc., Start reverse entirely the question. What if science was a way of connecting which was itself producing a large part of what we mean by being in a society? What if law was a way of connecting which would build with completely different type of connection a large part of what is meant by being in a society? If this were true, then there would be a complete reversal of a relation between the explanance and the explanandum. And I, I want you to give you one example to show you the difference between the sort of very, very interesting change of reference you can see if you follow the cascade of scientific inscription with what you get into law. Now, <coughs> this is a big problem. 
um, and Alan Buttigieg knows that very well here, I've studied an impossible case, which is the Conseil d'État, which is the most exotic things ever. And if I had to explain to you what the Conseil d'État is, uh, it will take the night and it will be boring as hell in addition. You have some sort of the same function here with the law lord. Forget it about law. I'm no more interested in the Conseil d'État as Rossier is interested in the brain of the rats I showed in the slides before. I'm interested in extracting from the Conseil d'État one neural, isolated one neural, just the way law passes through a series of cases. This is the Conseil d'État, forget it. <laughs> no, it, it's completely unknown to the French, so I am not going to bring it to the English. I mean, it would be impossible. <laughs> what I'm interested in, what do you do when you ha have to encounter sentences like this one? I was in doing my fieldwork, and then there was the question of, we have a journalist who is asking to have a card of journalist, which gives in France a lot of privileges. The problem that she was drawing pictures of flowers. And the journalist committees said, this is not journalism. Journalism is about bombs, it's about coup d'etat, it's not about flowers, because flowers are everywhere, every year the same. She sued. Now, why in the French system do you sue the state for that? Forget, I won't explain that. <laughs> But it ended up at the Conseil d'État, where the most advanced and the top level of French uh, grandes écoles end up. And they had to spend an afternoon about this very important question. <laughs> I have to say that they turned to me as the in-house philosophers and say, what would the philosophers say about, is she a journalist? And of course I had no time to say anything because that's what they said. They were not interested in my philosophy. And they were right. Because this is what the type of passage they were interested in. It being the case that Mrs. Ero, the Clement, claims the status of professional journalist as an illustrator reporter and pursuant to the provision of the third subsection of Article L76 of the Labour Law Code, which states that, citation, the following participant in the editorial process shall be treated as professional journalist, translator, editor, illustrator, reporter, given that according to the fact of the case, the duties of Mrs. Hero, who is employed in the magazine Rustica as an illustrator, consist in the illustration of sheets describing methods of gardening. And given that in this case, this illustration has sufficiently linked to current affairs as to characterize their illustrator as a reporter in the meaning of the foregoing provision, Mrs. Hero is therefore able to claim the benefit party. Now, this is not, again, an information. And the problem with information, what I call double-click information, is that it's supposed to be the benchmark where all of these things circulate, scientific reasoning, legal reasoning, economical reasoning, organizational reasoning, etc. But information double-click is precisely the sort of thing that does not capture the strange feature of being a journalist in the sense of the article. And I want to give you... I have five more minutes? Oh, yes. Oh, okay. No, because I forgot. Oh, okay, fine. So you will have more of a Conseil d'État, more than you ever want. To. <laughs> <coughs> you see enough, yeah. Law is great only on the condition that you get into it, because it's so strange. And I have the privilege of being able to uh, watch the collective reasoning of judges at the Conseil d'État for uh, uh, along for three years, not continuously, but long enough. 
boring, I have to say, boring, yes, but very interesting. So I'm sorry you have to get into the little detail because what interests me is how far we are from an information transfer in a case where nonetheless there is a clear extraction of something which I call the passage of law, which has its complete specificity and yet it's completely different from the, the reference that chain that I showed in many different works in science. So let's get into the dialogue. I'm sorry there are three sides, but we need to get into it. The different, all these guys are judges. Lemen. So it's a case of an expulsion. Monsieur Farouk is a very negative individual. Psychological remark. He has been involved in every drug trafficking for which he has been definitely prohibited from resigning in French territory. No solid proof at all is provided by the lawyer of the Council of State of the fact that his life is at risk. But all the same, Iraq is designated as the country of expulsion. We have taken account of what we currently know. We consider his fate with regard to Article 3, even if it's not Article 8. This is the European law. There is something European in my talk, by the way. He is married to a French woman. He has a French child. It's different. Very interesting. This is the translation for Marina. It's Marina Brinman is here. It's different to the case of 10 May 1996, which concerned an Algerian fundamentalist, the transportation of a case. By the way, the Conseil d'État type of reasoning is exactly common law type. It's one of the very great exceptions of French uh, legal system. It's a completely case-based and precedent-based. Uh, it's different the case of Stenmay, which concerned an Algerian fundamentalist who had abandoned fundamentalism. That case was clear. But here, I have doubts and want to submit the case to the subsection. The subsection is a so small judge group, and there are dozens of others uh, higher up. Dorval, I have doubt, but proof must be produced. Why does this lawyer not produce anything? That is what convinced me to harbor doubts similar to Le Mans. Because what is happening in Iraq is truly disturbing. This was before the war, by the way, but it's still disturbing. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, see, you see the layers. The layers are completely different. The layers of preoccupation are completely different. Some are factual, some are common sense. Some are pure prejudices about this guy is, is really a bad guy. Very negative. The law commissary. The law commissary is a very interesting character of which I wrote the whole book about, but it, 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 I wouldn't have time. What bothers me is the existence of a death penalty for drug trafficking. That, go, that goes against the Convention of Human Rights. Is it safe in Iraq? See the, the, complete break, the complete concatenation of a legal argument and he's going to actually reflexively qualify its own sentence. That must be verified. That's that what bothers me a little. It's a bit more legal. So what is so interesting is that they are constantly also reflexively navigating about the, situa the following situation. Is what they are going, is what they say is actually producing law or not? Is it legal or not? And one of the very interesting elements I found is that they want to avoid formalism. So it's not a formal reasoning. They constantly, this is a bit more formal, or this is, ah, no, this would be too formal, or this would be too legalist. So there is a clear sense that we are detecting a passage of law, but which is very, very difficult to detect, and which goes through completely heterogeneous type of reasoning. Um, okay. The knitting of legal reasoning two. The president. 
It's a small president, but it's a president, yes. But beware, it was the civil judge who failed to respect the convention and Article 3 by sending him back by force indefinitely. Can the administrative judge apply a judgment which is contrary to Article 3? Now, here we are in the, in the technique. By the way, uh, this is ununderstandable because <laughs> the French system of law has two completely different systems. One for civil uh, and uh, uh, penal law and another one for administrative law. So they are disputing now territories between two different branches of law. Le Maine. It has been decided. We can't say anything. Res judicata. We are bound. The administrative tribunal only decides on the country of expulsion. The expulsion itself is dealt with by the civil court. I mean, don't ask why, because this is very odd. Luchon, indignant. Wait, we cannot allow such an important question to be left to the skill of a lawyer. We see horrible things on television. <laughs> And then suddenly Bruyère, who is an older guy, I mean, a guy who has been for the goal, I mean, a guy who knows the business, it's a press extract, that's not worth anything. <laughs> so again, now, now the same argument, which was a common sense argument about television, is turned into a legal argument, which is linked to the fact what, what is in the file. And again, the Conseil d'État, like your system, is a completely only adversarial and not an inquisitorial system, so we cannot say anything which is not on the file. Dorval. But if it's true that he risks the death penalty, a little bit of reference here. Just a little segment of reference. The servitude, I don't know anything about this. The lawyers need to, to cite some case. It's not me. I mean, see, this is, it has to be in the case. It has to be in the file. Can we be sure of this? Bruyere. But how should we be able to know if this lawyer doesn't... Let, let's ask the foreign affair. In any case, whether it's Mujahideen or not, does not present the least difficulty. Scott. So this is a bit strange. Le Maine, a little shocked. We will not <laughs> He's not shocked by the gestures, by the way. <laughs> He's not straight by the quick. He's shocked by the idea of going through an official path, <laughs> by making inquiries, which means, of course, that immediately, because of a contradictoire, the uh, ministry, the Home Secretary, which is attacked in this case, would have to, to send a rejoinder. Is it scandalous to ask the Office of Ministry of Foreign Affairs? We can do what we want. We tend to consider ourselves too bound. And here is a beautiful passage. Because the president suddenly realized that there is no law anymore here if we are bound. So between the hesitation of the first sentence, we should doubt a bit. I doubt. I have a doubt. To this one, we should, be not, we should not feel too bound. There is, and the continuation of the... Uh, exchange and interlocution shows it, the feeling that they have judged well. They have doubted, they have hesitated, and they have unbound themselves before taking the decision. The poor guy was, of course, expulsed, and he probably is quick, but that's not. Can we do this? We have the law on our side. After all, this is very important. Is this going to set a precedent? And suddenly we are back to the machinery of a case law, uh, of a, of a uh, how do you say that? Uh, case law? Case, yeah, a case law. Um, the stock uh, of case law. So, my point here is how many different type, and this is a summary of the numbers of elements which define in my uh, little ethnography the passage of law, how many heterogeneous features are determined by this very small type of association for completely different, completely heterogeneous layers is what I call a legal passage. 
a legal network, if you want. So it's not that law is explained by a social something which would be beyond, beyond or on the outside of it, because there is absolutely no qualms from the judges, at least, in this interlocution scene to do many, many other things than law. Obviously, law is not one of the elements, or it's not a sphere which is surrounded by psychological or prejudices or opinions and which should be kept away. It, the law is in the passage itself, in the same way as in the example I've shown of, of the reference chain. The, the quality of the reference chain is not in any of the image along the, or inscription along the cascade, but in the type of connection, except the two connectors are entirely different. And that's where, uh, okay, I don't, if you, well, let, let, let's go a little bit in this uh, uh, slide, just the yellow part. Hesitation is certainly a very important element. They constantly qualify themselves. Have we hesitated enough? And that's a good sign that the passage of law, the, the way law has been through these different type and heterogeneous layers has been well done. And the legal means, les moyens, which is a strange, <laughs> very banal terms in French, which I still don't know uh, how to translate in uh, English. Means, legal means, but legal is not a good word because it's sort of uh, beg the question. Means, anyway. And then coherence of law and limits of law, etc. So the reason why I'm interested in that is that if you compare the masses of information double-click information, masses, the data scape, available for the science, available for law. We have now masses of them, and we should take opportunity of them. And yet, if we want to be able to replace the notion of social explanation, we should also be able to differentiate the type of connectors which carry, if I can use this metaphor uh, from particle physics, so to speak, one of them carry law, the other one carry references without being um, able to produce a sphere which would be the sphere of science and another which would be the sphere of law. In other words, if we accept the argument, which I attribute maybe uh, with some exaggeration to Tad, that you should re we, we completely reverse the relation between the exponentum and the exponents. In other words, social society is not what provides the explanation but what should be explained. And if you don't want to fall back in the notion of spheres, where it would be the sphere of law, the sphere of science, the sphere of economics, and so on, the attention should be put on what, in a very uh, almost embarrassing word, Tad called imitation rays, but they are really something else, which is what I'm trying to define in this second part of the lecture. They are connectors. They are vehicles carrying a type of uh, truth condition. I've used the expression regime of enunciation or mode of existence. I'm still struggling to find the exact word. But the great thing is that they allow to replace the notion of society to help us having a sort of disintoxication cure of social explanation which is quite useful if you are overdosed with social explanation. It's not lower the dose of social explanation. And yet, it puts center stage the type of connectors that do assemble the collective. Collective is the word I use 
to replace the world society. So this is basically, an, I had a third part, but you will be saved the third part because uh, in, in the interest of time. If you had the third part, I would have explained uh, why does it make a difference. <laughs> so <laughs> what? it does make a difference that you would have to believe me. But <laughs> at least for me, it makes a difference because the politics is, of course, very different if uh, we have a collective which is not already uh, composed. And that's a great critique that Tad is always being... Me, me, always doing to Durkheim. Say, but you are interested in the social structure and then everything is already done, so to speak. The composition of a collective, the political composition of a collective is not, uh, is not uh, visible. And he has this marvelous uh, book which uh, has been brought to the English uh, attention through <coughs> a special issue of economy and society by uh, Andy Barry. And, and Nigel Frith called Psychology Economique, which is the most interesting uh, book of Tard, where he makes precisely this very interesting connection between uh, the Durkheim type of, of, of social theory and uh, the reason uh, why liberalism in the classical definition of the 19th century uh, are, in fact, the same providential definition of economy. And Tard is uh, decisively um, interested in having a secular definition of society, which he thinks Durkheim does not. Thank you very much. Well, I'd like to thank you, Bruno, for such a ter terrific uh, lecture. And uh, um, you'll be pleased or, or perhaps uh, not so pleased to know that we do have about 20, 25 minutes for questions so people can ask you uh, what kind of a difference it makes. Um, I must say, as I was listening to your wonderful lecture, and I've learned so much from your work over the years, I realized two things. One is how much I've got in common with your arguments, and second, quite how fundamental my disagreements Oh, for, the, for the first time tonight, I thought back to uh, the, uh, the famous phrase from Emil Durkheim, uh, uh, facts that are external to and binding upon individuals. Uh, and to my uh, Karl Marx, who argues that uh, uh, the individual is not the secret of social theory. But anyhow, I've taken up far too much of your time. Uh, we're going to take some questions now. I shall be a non-interventionist chair, taking not my model from the Alan So Carl debate, but from a much milder and more collegial discussion. Uh, we're going to take the questions in groups of two or three, so if you could just uh, show, and um, I'll point you out. Questions or comments, please. Okay, I'll, I'll uh, break, with, uh, break with tradition and take three from the top shelf first. Uh, uh, one, two, and I saw a third hand Yes, you first, please. You second. I oh, will just take these two first, then. Please. There's a mic, by the way, for those not familiar. Please, please wait for the mic. Uh, thank you. Uh, my name is Liu Qin from BioCenter, and from reassembling the social, I understand your theoretical and philosophical proposition of active network theory is never to stop to represent the connections within a certain limited boundary or social framework. But if you uh, actually represent this connection through some uh, uh, new de newly developed tools, uh, computerized tools, 
representing some massive data sets. Well, in that case, how massive the data itself is, it actually represents some limit. It creates some limited boundaries. So if you apply that kind of empirical approach, actually it means that you limit yourself into a certain boundary. And by relying on, exactly relying on your own philosophical argument, someone will point out there are actually minuscule or microscopic actors that are still connected but not represented in the, uh, the computerized tools. So in that case, how will you recon reconcile your philosophical argument with the empirical approach using the uh, computerized tools? And how does the empirical approach differ from the existing social network analysis? Thank you. Okay, if I could also ask people please not to pile question on question, try and keep to one question per person, otherwise uh, 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 Runa will take all his time answering one. Uh, we'll take the next one. Um, yes, I was, I was um, wondering about um, your suggestion. I mean, you seem to be suggesting that, uh, that we, we should want to replace the notion of so social explanation, um, partly because ideas of the social are artifacts. Um, but I, I was just wondering, I mean, couldn't we, couldn't we ask whether, you know, social, fa social ideas of the social can be black boxed and in a sense can become facts? Um, so they can sort of, um, they can provide repre representations which themselves provides, provide a means of other interventions. So for example, a subculture of, or a small society of drug users doesn't really exist, but if it's um, black boxed into a subculture it can actually do, it can actually be used to do things. It can be used to by social researchers, governments, to reduce harms, increase arrests, and, the, and that sort of thing. So I guess I was wondering um, why, why treat the creation of facts by social scientists any different from the creation of facts by scientists? Shouldn't we have a respect um, for what the social sciences can achieve in the same way that we're supposed to respect what the sciences can achieve? Okay, we're going to stop there. And, uh you'd like to respond to those two? Uh, very different questions. No, but, but the last one is very easy because, of course, that's a large part of what the, the whole study of uh, so, the, the sociology of social sciences is about. And, of course, uh, uh, the performative ability of the social sciences is immense. And it's done now, I mean, in this uh, school by the people who, who study, uh, uh, who completely renovated the study of accounting, uh, as well as people who study, the, I mean, Foucault would have done it with the social sciences. I mean, so I think the complete... It's completely absorbed into actor network theory. The idea that the social sciences are one of the very active elements in performing the connection, but the, that doesn't solve the question uh, of, of, of the sort of thing that uh, we would be interested uh, in the non-performing, I mean, reopening the controversy, so to speak, about the social. And in reassembling the social, I make the distinction between these three tasks. I mean, deploying the uncertainty, that's what I'm interested in here, now, the stabilization tool, which the sort of thing you alluded to, is extraordinarily important, and they make up the whole half of the book. I agree entirely with you. They have to be respected. But performing the social is not exactly the same thing as knowing about it. And that's the first question, which is, of course, very important. I might be completely in contradiction with my own principle, uh, <laughs> which, which is no problem. I mean, it's, not, it's, it's a small point, but not enormous for us, because I'm interested in, in, in the data scape themselves. So, um, um, if I have to choose between the data scape and my uh, principle. I, I will change my principle. And, and, uh, 
But, but I think we are not exactly at the same, very, the same level. What we mean by boundary, I guess, is a completely theoretical argument about the fact that networks should not be stopped in advance. And I, I, keep, I stick to this principle. But then uh, we are limited by the type of data uh, we are, uh, which are accessible. And here I'm a complete positivist. And uh, what, the, the reason why I showed this little example is just to, I mean, it's not to convince you that they are uh, very uh, good. It's, it's to show you the type of movement in the space which is so different from what we have to do when we do statistics. It's simply the possibility of going back and forth, which is interesting. So, um, and, and the, the kind of social network is, of course, I'm, I'm not a specialist of that, but I think the, the, the same with social network. What is so interesting in this visualization, the datascape, is again the possibility of navigating without having to choose between the, uh, the monad uh, and the aggregate, without having suddenly to, uh, a great doubt about the quality and the solidity of the aggregate is instilled when you do practice with, uh, this datascape, and I think that's what is interesting. I know that, of course, any social theorist would say we don't want to, um, what's the expression, to make the, the whole, uh, I mean, uh, philosophical term escape me at the moment. To reify. To reify, yes, yes. Oh, yes. Good old so, Marxist term. That's good to have a Marxist with you on the table. <laughs> uh, reify. Now, it, it's one thing to say we don't want to reify it, and it's another to have a tool which allow you not to do it, because reification is in the tool. That's what I mean by the artifact, actually, by the way, in the question. Of, uh, I didn't say the social theory is an artifact. I said there is one way. Whenever you manipulate a type of data, necessarily you will have some sort of social theory which will sort of jump out of it, so to speak. Okay, let's take another group of questions. I see one there, um, and one here, and one here. So you first. And the gentleman there, person there. Um, you had the quote up earlier, I wasn't sure if it was yours or Tard's, about structure being an effect of distance, uh, and then talked uh, about the ability to flip between the structural perspective of the sort of from afar and the pixelated perspective from up close, and repeated this possibility that new technologies allow us to jump from the sort of aggregate to the pixelated and to the very local. But another possibility that that quote seems to open up to me is that the possibility of doing social science, which is uh, quite distant but not very distant, somewhere in between the distant uh, and the proximate, uh, and that there could actually be endless shades of grey between the theoretical and the ethnographic. Uh, is that something that makes sense to you? And do you think there are possibilities for types of social science which are neither Durkheimian nor Tardian in the kind of dichotomy that you sort of introduced here? Yeah, hi. Um, uh, thank you for the talk. I thought it was, you know, it was really good. And um, this is perhaps more of a, uh, a verification of my own uh, um, ant influences rather than perhaps a challenge. But um, I was thinking that um, uh, Badger's recent um, translation into English has kind of got a lot of the people that Axe Network theories, like myself, um, talking about the um, idea of the N minus 1 as opposed to the N plus 1, if you like, whereas Axe Network theory and your sort of traceability is a constant addition or um, constant uh, tracing. And um, the idea, Badger's idea about the um, ontology is to be found in the N minus one, if you like, and the state of the situation and the event, which he says. So I was just wondering if, you know, where that, where that sits in, in, your, in your talk of Tarder and Durkheim and perhaps um, if there's a place for that kind of ontology, if you like. Um, 
could you give us a, an encapsulated uh, uh, kind of introduction to N minus one, please, uh, for a general audience like Professor Latour and myself? Okay. <laughs> In that case, uh, no, I'll, I'll leave it then. It's. Uh... Okay. We'll, we'll, we'll My apologies. A, we'll get a reading this from you afterwards. Okay. Uh, I would just like to ask for a clarification for myself. If I understood you correctly, you said that every new datascape requires or should trigger a new social theory. And I'm just wondering how many social theories should I expect in the next week? <laughs> Thanks. Uh, well, on the end, minus one question. I will skip. Uh, I think it's a more serious question. Is, is, this is the last one. Is, is, I mean, we need habits of thought which are helped by the way we manipulate data. I mean, the whole actor network theory is just, it's just an empirical uh, a way to try to get at some sort of a connectedness which was were invisible before. I mean, before we started the uh, study of scientific practices, uh, we were obsessed. I mean, the only tool at our disposal was this notion of a social which unfortunately was repeated by my introducer, by the way, uh, at the beginning. So a social, a social aspect of stu science studies and scientific practice was exactly what disappeared, in my case, five minutes after having entered the first study in my, in, at SOC uh, 30 years ago. So it's clear that the social was not up to the task. So my undertaking is, okay, if the social is not up to the task to understand something which is as central as scientific activity, what's the alternative? And that's why I keep finding, trying to look at the alternative. Now, the, the reason why I find this new visualization tool serious is precisely because it allows to navigate in a way which, which is quite original on the central question, on the central question which has been made central by the Durkheim, Durkheimian in our French uh, tradition. And I want to, to, to make sure that I understood the, 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 your, your question because uh, the opposition between Tard, the ethnographer, and Durkheim, the aggregator, is Durkheim's position. But of course it's not Tard. And that's why Tard, Durkheim won and Tard lost. Tard said, I'm not interested in this question for a very important reason. is that the whole is never bigger than the part. This is the sentence I mentioned about ex abrupto. So it's an essential point of social theory which has been thoroughly lost, and thoroughly lost by the Marxists and by the Durkheimian <laughs> and by all the people who believe that the big is really bigger than the small. But Tad doesn't say there is only the small. He says the big is the small expressed in a certain intensity. The big is simply a certain intensity of the law. And if you notice the sentence about sociology of science, he is exactly, he was a judge. For 25 years he was a judge. So he was extremely interested in law and his great argument is that a code of law is actually smaller than any one of its components. So it's a central argument at the heart of the social sciences which has been simply dismissed. That there is nothing in the whole which is actually big. It's simply connected slightly differently. So you, you see what I mean? It means that if you go now, and I agree with you on the whole range, the whole range is interesting, of course, but range between what and what? If the range is between small, medium, and large, this is for, I mean, for close, right? And extra large, you can add. 
And you can do extra-large sociology and middle and small sociology and, and so on. But that's not what Tan is interested in. He's not interested in scale because scaling is the main important phenomenon. And the whole of actor network theory, and that's the point which is never understood in actor network theory, actually. Scale is what the actors themselves make. And its scale is not what you fix in advance. It's precisely the result of the work. And I think that's still a very important uh, insight. The, the question is, at the time of Tard, he could do it only with prose. And now we can, we can do it. It seems to me, in a more positivist, because at the heart I'm also a positivist, way. Um, well, since I've been a bit of a provocative chair and um, I, I have been yeah, referred, to referred to at one or two points, I wonder if I might insert myself into this discussion. Um, you have already. Uh, yeah. Uh, I didn't notice. Um, <laughs> Let's just talk about the social for a minute. I mean, I, I use the term quite deliberately, um, and that's because I think the social has a kind of existence. Um, like you, I don't think the social is some natural domain, eternal, always there. But I do think over the last 150, perhaps 200 years, a domain called the social was brought into existence by thought, by technology, by practices, by institutions, by professional groups, and indeed, in a very large part, by statistics and by sociologists. They created a domain which is, in very large part, external to and binding upon individuals, or was, at least in that it had to be the sort of obligatory point of reference, both for, for those who would govern us and for us ourselves, for perhaps 50 or 60 years of this century. Now, I, I myself argued, as have others in different ways, that that social is beginning to fall apart. That social is beginning to fall apart. But it doesn't mean that over that 150, uh, 150 years or whatever, um, it was a kind of conceptual error of some sort to, to refer to it. It had a reality, a tangibility, a density. Intriguingly, I, mean, I absolutely agree with you that statistics played a huge role in bringing into existence the idea that there was a domain with its own regularities. We've read our Durkheim even here at the, at the LSE, um, uh, so we, we know that. Um, and in that sense, I absolutely agree with you that the technological capacities available at the time helped bring this social into existence. In the same way, the very same way as the technological capacities that you're referring to now are beginning to de-aggregate that social, beginning in market research, in targeted advertising, in a hundred different ways in my own area in the personalized genome to fragment that social. In a sense, what's slightly... Uh, it doesn't worry me really, what I find intriguing is the way in which the movement of your thought mirrors a much wider movement of thought. I'm not saying it's a bad thing, like many, ex like many Marxists, uh, I'm no longer one, but uh, a, a real Foucauldian, uh, like many Marxists regret its passing, but I don't. Um, and this I'll just, was not a short question, but... Uh... I'll just say... I'll just say <laughs> I'm going to say one other thing, and then, then, I, will, then I will completely shut up. Um, because as you were talking about science, another reference, not French, I'm afraid, but European, came to my mind, and that was Ludwig Fleck. Uh, Ludwig Fleck and Fleck's idea of a style of thought, 
and the emergence of a style of thought. When you show me those pictures of rat brains going to graphs, what I think there is the emergence over the last 20 or 30 years in the neurosciences, in fact we can date it quite precisely using your very own techniques which we've borrowed from you, the emergence of that style of thought which you show and which for someone to be a neuroscientist, they have to do that. They have to know that, and to be a little bit provocative, that style of thought is external to and binding upon them. Those are my two comments. Thank you for your free questions, yes. <laughs> I, I don't disagree very much, actually, because uh, if we are talking about the sort as a moment which has its own density and which is caused by the spaces of other things like technology of representation, professional tools, as you mentioned, then, I mean, we agree. This is what has to be explained. But it's a bad predictor and it's a bad provider of explanation. And that's my, my point. And that's what the TARD is always saying. To do. Of course there is a society. Of course there are things which are bounding us. Of course, but that's what has to be explained. And how do you do the explanation is what the social sciences is about. And the, the, the difficulty we have at this very moment, I think, is that a lot of the uh, social explanation has lost its, uh, I think in, you say in English, this due date. Yeah. That the parent lost its sell by date. Lost, uh, yeah, sell by date. <laughs> well, I think some of us sell sell by date is, is, is outdated, and, and, and then you need you need you need to enter into it and to see why it is. That's what I'm saying. The refreshment of what we mean by the social is one of the essential uh, necessity to have a, a politically uh, relevant and an empirically founded uh, social sciences, and that's why I'm very dubious, I mean, I, I've become more and more dubious of what social explanation is. But of course it's now to be explained the history of the social, why is society arriving in the 19th century? Why did Mrs. Thatcher say there is no society? Why is the biopower, like your own work show, is com transforming completely the notion of individual? Of course, I mean, that's what, <laughs> this is the thing to be explained, we agree with that. The question is how much of the thing to be explained can be used to provide the explanation? And then I think we disagree again. Okay, I've, I'm going to be very, very self-controlled and uh, resist coming back and ask for some more comments from the floor. I can see one up there. I can see one in the blue jumper there. And I can see one in the blue shirt right at the back. So one, two, three. Hello, I want to return to the uh, TARD's phrase, the composite photograph. And the photographs that you showed, I think, are two very different kinds of composite photograph. My sense is that Tard was talking about the kind of composite photograph in which, by the end of the process, there is a new thing that you cannot disaggregate back. It has been produced by a layering of umpteen images that are related one top on top of one another to produce a new and, in fact, fictitious image. That is very different from the image, say, of, of George Bush, where we can see George Bush, we can also see umpteen different smaller faces. And I think those two different kinds of composite photograph presume a very, two very different sets of accounts of the relationship between the monad and the aggregate, or the big and the small, and whether those two models are something that you're working with or whether actually you're far more interested in the George Bush type image. Thank you. And uh, there's a gentleman with a blue jumper in the middle there. Could you wait for the mic, please? Yes, this, this question is, is really 
building on a question that was asked by a woman at the front that I think got lost with the excitement on the stage a few minutes ago. Um, it's basic, I'll ask in a slightly different way. How does one know when there is a new datascape, a qualitatively new datascape, as opposed to simply a, a slightly evolving uh, version of the same model? Okay, and the third one in this group at the back there. I'm feeling um, a sense of frustration. Uh, I'm wondering if you could give us some more specific hints, specific consequences from part three. <laughs> okay. Uh, <clears throat> on composite photograph, I mean, the allusion to Galton is direct because he mentioned Galton somewhere else. But of course, the two others I added are, are, are very naive compared to what uh, and Galton and uh, Tard mentioned, and you're perfectly right. The, the, the reason I put it is because I was interested in that he was referring to a technology of visualization of his time. And, and I think he would have been interested in, uh, in making uh, the, the connection. But the very reason why it's so difficult to visualize this connection is what we tackle in the whole um, exhibition I did, making things public. And, and if you are interested, Gamboni, uh, the great art historian, did a whole chapter on, on that very question of visualization of composite images, actually composite bodies, and it goes through a whole history from Hobbes to uh, present day. So it's still a very open question. Actually, it's also an open question in, in the press. I mean, the caricature constantly. Is, it's a whole question of social sciences. It's still very active in art. It's very active in all domains. Um, I have no idea of the second question, I have to say. What, uh, why do I, maybe I, you think I'm mistaken in finding new uh, on original, this navigation between the individual. It's not, it might not be that a radical departure at all. It, it, you might be entirely uh, right on that. The, the, my experience in it is slightly different. It's because I'm teaching something called scientific, which I invented, uh, mapping scientific controversies. And, and, and I, I'm amazed by the numbers of tools which are now available to re-stage uh, the vocabulary of empiricism using the, the, these tools. And I think they do make a difference. The fact, for instance, my students are able now to replace the, the, the phenomenon which would have been words before an index or a glossary by the virtual experiment, it does make a difference. Now, if you say, how do you know it does make a difference? It's an experimental, uh, and I have no great uh, argument to answer uh, your objection, uh, I, I'm afraid. On the third, on the third uh, well, <laughs> this is the whole political import of the social uh, sciences, and here I think we, we, are, not, we are in less disagreement uh, with Nick because we both believe that there is no social sciences which is not linked in some way to a political uh, project. Uh, the, the, the argument is, uh, I mean, <laughs> it, it, it's very simple in a way is that if, if there is an even if the alternative to the society is what I call collective, that is where the notion of collection, the notion of assembling is again uh, made vivid it's very important not to collect it too fast. In other words, uh, the, the great difficulty of social explanation is that we, in very many ways, suppose the problem of composition already solved. It's as if the assembly was already done. We know that there is a society. We know that there is something beyond, etc., etc. So the work of composition, the political task of composition, and politics is, in my uh, terms is a progressive composition of the common world. 
is uh, done on the cheap, so to speak. There is no, I explain, try to explain that in uh, politics of nature, there is no due process in, the, in composition. So I think it's quite important to have the, political, the social theory that allow the collective to be composed and not already, so to speak, made. So why I'm interested, and here it has a direct connection with the European tradition, which was the official uh, convener of this uh, meeting, is that uh, why is it so important to detect what the passage of law is? Well, because law is defined by many different thinkers as either a sphere which has its own autonomy or as being socially explained and being nothing more than the packaging of brute forces, of relation of forces, or under the word legitimation. Legitimation is clearly the word, the code word for a mass of very bad social explanation of law. So why is it interesting to go back to the heart of what the legal connection is? Well, because you can do away with social explanation of law and yet not believe a positivistic, in the legal sense, version of a sphere of autonomous and pure law. Same thing with science. It's an extraordinarily important element for political uh, aggregation and mobilization, especially at the time of ecology, that science be a realistic version of what science is be in our hands. As long as we have an epistemological definition of science, we don't. We have a divorced sphere of pure science, isolated from the rest, which, has only, which can only be criticized by using uh, social categories. The whole social, last time I was here, we, we debated just that. And we want that war. I mean, Monsieur Sokal realized that the real enemy of science is actually the White House. And that he didn't have, he spent a lot of time fa fighting the people who were describing and proposing a realistic definition of, of science while he was, science was attacked much more brutally by the people in the, the, the Bushist. So, for every single domain, it would be true of economics, it would be true of organization, it would, true of, it would be true of fiction. It's crucially important that the social sciences, in my view, I mean, this is, you asked me for my view, uh, disintoxicate themselves from social, from social explanation, and yet do start again the task of composition with the connectors which are the truth condition of our collective existence. Law, science, technology, I have no time to talk about technology, and uh, all the other things, religion, which is a thing which interests me a lot, and so on. So this, if I had had time, but it would have been ridiculous to uh, get into this question so late, uh, I would, that's the direction uh, I would have uh, entered. If between society and politics you have to choose, that's my brief answer. Well, um, I think that is a terrific place to close this discussion. Um, as a tiny footnote, there's no fundamental disagreement between myself and Bruno Latour on the, on the crucial importance of these uh, ways of rethinking what our social disciplines can bring to this world today and how they need to be transformed in order to engage with the new problems, the new forms of knowledge, the new types of data, and the new questions with which we are confronted. And I think Bruno this evening has given us a very good demonstration of why, since 1979, uh, when I read that first book, he's been one of the most powerful, provocative, and innovative voices that we've heard 
across the social sciences, uh, both in science studies, in anthropology, in philosophy, in politics, and within the heartland of sociology itself. So I'd like us to thank him in the normal way for a, a fantastically uh, uh, creative and uh, thought-provoking talk. Thanks very much. Finally, as you're leaving, I'd just also like to thank our hosts here tonight, the LSE European Institute, Sciences Po Paris, the Forum for Europe European Philosophy, uh, and there are going to be other events in this series, so please watch this space and uh, come to the next one, um, which you'll find on the website. <laughs>